Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. It's good to see you. Welcome uh, to our friends at the Beller Campus, Edgewood Campus, Abingdon Campus, brand new Abingdon Campus, and here at Mountain Road Online, wherever you are. I really am glad you're with us, really am. And uh, welcome. Merry Christmas. Uh, hey, would you, are you in the gift-giving mood? Would you be willing to kind of start by giving me a little gift right off the top here? Would that be okay? You don't sound very encouraging, but uh, here's the deal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, oh, to tell you a couple of jokes that aren't particularly hilarious, but if you would give me the gift of laughing at them anyway, that'd be awesome. Would you do that? Because we're talking about light, so um, light bulb jokes, right? So how many psychiatrists does it take to screw in a light bulb? Only one, but the light bulb has to really want to change. Yeah, that's pretty good, isn't it? Okay. How many, uh, let's see, how many mystery writers does it take to screw in a light bulb? Two, one to screw it in most of the way, and then the other to come along with a surprise twist at the end. Well, that's pretty good. I said laughter, not groaning. Come on, you promised. You promised. Okay, how about, uh, how, many, how many vegans does it take to screw in a light bulb? Two, one to screw it in, the other to go, we're vegan. (laughs) Right? Okay, how many Ravens fans does it take to screw in a light bulb? It doesn't matter. We'll just see how it goes, and if it's not, we can finish it next year. So, (laughs) How many fishermen does it take? Last one. How many fishermen does it take to screw in a light bulb? Just one, but it was that big, and it fought it like crazy, and okay, whatever. So in all seriousness, when we talk about light, it makes you think about the world and how dark it is, you know, with all, so, much, um, so much suffering and sorrow and sin. It's dark. And does it ever make you think, wouldn't it be awesome if there could be someone somewhere who could screw in a light bulb, who could, who could bring a light that was so powerful and pure and good and strong that it would overshadow, overcome, overpower the darkness, that cast it out. The darkness in the world and the darkness in our own hearts, wouldn't that be awesome? You believe there is such a thing? There's a light like that? Because we, we, we really do live in, in, a, in a dark time, doesn't it seem? And we've talked pretty honestly in the last few weeks about how, you know, it does seem like 2017 was kind of a dark year. We, we talked about that at the top of the service. You saw the video and... You know, you know, shootings and terrorism and racism seems like it's more rampant than ever, and the political upheaval, and you know, you got stuff happening in North Korea. You got, you got all this stuff going on: earthquakes and hurricanes and wildfires. And it's not just big stuff out there. All of us would have to admit there's, there's some darkness that each of us has in our own lives as well. You know, whether it's a particular discouragement, or maybe this year you find yourself at Christmas kind of just dealing with a something in your life that's just deeply disappointing some kind of doubt or some kind of sadness that's there for whatever reason. We have darkness within us as well. We want to be able to sing with the song, you know, all is calm, all is bright, but it seems like all is chaos and we're all uptight. There's a lot of, a lot of darkness. And whether it might be relational darkness, you know, or just relationships that just some put a knot in your stomach when you have to be around certain people this time of year. Or, uh, you know, maybe it's economic or financial darkness that you're, you're feeling, you know, just racking up bills now that you don't know how you're going to pay in, in January. I know some kids who are going to be uh, opening presents at two different 
homes for the first time this year because their parents split up this year. There's a darkness around that. Or maybe it's an empty chair, someone that you will really miss uh, this year. Or your kids are going crazy or you're just lonely. Whatever it is, we are those people that Isaiah was talking about in chapter 9, verse 2. 700 years before the time of Jesus when he said that the people are walking in darkness and they have seen a great light. He was prophesying something. And those living in a land of deep darkness, light has dawned. He's talking about the fact that there is someone somewhere who's going to screw in a light bulb that's going to just like, like bring light on all of us. What difference would that make? I bet they wondered. What difference would it make if God could bring light like that for the world and, and maybe even for people like you and me who walk in darkness? I mean, it would change everything, wouldn't it? I, I heard about a, a, an artist who was painting this landscape painting years ago, and everybody was watching, kind of, they had people looking over his shoulder, it, may have, it might have been televised even. It was kind of a bleak, wintry landscape. It had these jagged mountains in the back, and in the foreground were these this swirling snow and ominous clouds and pine trees bending in the cold breeze. You could just, by looking at the picture, it just gave you the chills. It just looked like this cold, dark uh, scene. But then in the background of the painting, he painted in a little cabin nestled in the hills. And then with one brief, simple stroke, he completely transformed the whole painting. He took his brush and he dabbed it in yellow paint. And with everybody watching, he just leaned in and right at the window of that little cabin, he made one little mark. Put gold in the window of that cabin and suddenly it warmed up. It totally changed the whole painting. Your eye no longer went to the bleak, cold landscape, your eye went right to that warm cabin. You could just picture yourself like walking up through the snow and going inside and warming up by the fire. The whole tone had changed with that one brush stroke. And 2,000 years ago, the good news is this, is that God, in the bleak landscape of this dark world, with one brush stroke, changed everything when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, the light of the world, to the people like us walking in darkness. And I'm telling you, it has implications for your life and mine and the whole world. We want to talk about that. The first time the brush stroke appeared was outside of a little town called Bethlehem, right? And the news came, if we go to a Christmas pageant, you're going to hear someone stand up and recite from Luke chapter 2, right? Well, let's go there, because that's what, that's what it, we hear about in chapter 2, verse 8 through 11. There were some shepherds in that part of the country who were out in the fields taking care of their flocks. When were they out there? When? At night? In the dark? An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the bright glory of the Lord shone over them. Whenever in Scripture you talk about God, you're talking about God is light and is always represented by His purity, His goodness, His love, His power is always represented with bright light. And so angels show up, God's there, and glory is everywhere. It would freak you out. You'd be scared out of your pants. And so were they. Oh, excuse me, they were terribly afraid. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. No, 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 because I'm here with good news for you, which will bring Great joy to all the people. This very day in David's town, your Savior was born and names him Christ the Lord. It's Jesus, the brush stroke that changed everything. 
And I love those phrases. Good news of great joy for all people. Say those with me, will you? Good news, great joy, all people. Let's talk about maybe me giving you a gift now. You were kind enough to laugh at my lame jokes. The gift I'd like to give you is to think about the difference it makes in our world and the difference it really is meant to make in your life that God has sent his son as light into this dark world. Let's think about that. And first, let's start with, with talking about this idea that the light of Jesus is good news. It's good news. We, in a bad news world, in a fake news world, we need good news, right? We need good news. And I think sometimes we forget to be so shocked and blown away by good news. But friends, it, it, without God, every one of us is trapped in spiritual darkness without God's light. But God has not left us alone on our own, but has burst into, bust into the darkness of our reality, of our world, of your life and your heart by sending his son, Jesus. The way John says it in chapter one is this. In him, talking about Jesus now, in Jesus, in him was life. Life, like real life, like abundant, full, like the way we're meant to live. Like some of us have a gnawing sense sometimes that there's gotta be more to life. And there is. And it's in him. It's in him. In him was life, and his life brought light to everyone. And that's good news. He's, he's echoing Genesis, where it says, remember, there was nothing but darkness, but God spoke his word and said, let there be light, and there was light. And so again, in the fullness of time, into a spiritual darkness, God sent his word again. This time the word becomes flesh, and it's him, him. In him is life and light, you see. If you want to have life, you gotta know God, and the way you know God is through Jesus who brings life and light. He's the one who said of himself, John 12, 46, I have come as a light to shine in this dark world, so that all who put their trust in me will no longer have to stay in darkness. Friends, that's good news. That's really good news. All who put their trust in him no longer have to walk in darkness or live in darkness. Donald Miller tells about a group of Navy SEALs that were on a covert operation to bust in some compound in a remote dark corner of the earth to deliver some American hostages that were being held in this room, dark, uh, for a long time. And so they made their way there under, with their night goggles and all, the choppers landed, and they bust into that compound finally. And, and, they, and the doors flew open, and the light shafted in there, and there they all were cowering around the edges in fear, all the hostages. And they thought when they busted in, they would get up and run out the door with them, but in fact, nobody moved. <laughs> they didn't know what to do. One of the SEALs got an idea. He put his weapon down, and he took his helmet off. He took his mask off, and he quietly went over to where one of the hostages was seated in a corner, cowering in fear in the dark. 
And he just kind of slid his back against the wall and just slid down gently right next to him. So their bodies were touching real close, curled up next to him. He wanted to show that he was like him and with him. Then he turned on a light so he could show his face. And he tried to soften his gaze, and he just looked at the hostage until the hostage eventually turned his own face, and they locked eyes. Of course, the hostage knew in that moment our captors never would have done this. And then he gently spoke and just said, I really am here to rescue you, but I need you to go with me. Will you follow me? Then he stood up and put his hand down, and in a beautiful moment, that hostage reached up in trust and grabbed hold of that hand. He lifted him to his feet, and they walked out the door with all the other hostages rising, doing the same. I love that story. Not just for its heroicism, but because, you see, isn't that exactly what God has done for us through Christ? He's come among us, bust into our dark place, and come down to be right with us, softening his gaze. He came as a baby. How, how weak and gentle and small and soft can you come? And even right now in this moment, just looks gently into the eyes of every single one of us and says, will you follow me? I really am here to help you. Friends, this is good news. I know at a Christmas service like this, we got a lot of people that have all kinds of ideas about God and Maybe you've got some hang-ups about the church. and Some of us probably think God's a bad guy. Or, you know, someone's out to get us. Friends, this is good news. And whatever place we're living, if it's without God, it's not anything like what it can be when he leads us. But you've got to trust him. All who put their trust in Christ will not have to walk in darkness. That's good news, and that makes a big difference if you'll receive that light in life, in your life. It's good news. But it's also good news of what? Great joy. Joy. Everybody say joy. Like, because we need joy, don't we? I mean, good grief. Look at our world. Doesn't it just seem like, doesn't it seem like sometimes the darkness is winning? You ever have that, that sensation? Like, good grief. It's just like, it feels awful. We need Joy. We need a way to cling to hope, even in the midst of joy. And that's the promise. That's what comes with Jesus, with that brushstroke. John chapter 1 again, same verses, says this. In him was life, and his life brought light to everyone. And then it says this. The light shines in the darkness. The Bible doesn't paint a frilly little picture of the world like, oh, there's no problems. It's all light and glory. No, no. It says there's darkness in the world. But guess what? The light has come. One day, all the darkness goes away. But until then, in the world where we live now, there's darkness, but the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. The Bible, your, your translations might say, it will never, the darkness will never overpower the light. It'll never overcome the light. That's a great promise, friends. It's a reminder, light wins. The light and the love and the purity and the power and the goodness of God wins. The darkness does not win. When you know that, you can hold on to joy no matter what's going on in the world or in your own life. Some of you have experienced this in your own life. It's like the eclipse. Remember, uh, where were you during the eclipse? 
Uh, I don't know, I was, I was playing tennis with a friend, and it was like, up here it was like no big deal. It was like, is today the day? I don't know, it didn't even look like it was getting dark hardly. And I went to the library and got one of those old things and looked up there. I was like, oh, sure enough, you know. My kids went down south, and it was really cool where they were, apparently. You know, it got dark and eerie, and really it was a really cool, freaky experience for them. But you know what? It was only momentary. A couple minutes later, the sun and all of its bright brilliance and, and warmth was right back. And this is what the Scriptures are saying is true in our world and in our lives. That even though it seems like sometimes the light is eclipsed, oh no, it's dark. It, 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 the, light, the light will shine through. The darkness will not overcome or overpower it, no matter what it seems like in the moment. Some of you have experienced this in your own life. You've had sorrow come into your heart or life. You thought it was going to swallow you whole. It was a total eclipse you felt. But as the scriptures say, weeping and sorrow lasts for a night, but joy comes in the morning with the light. And some of you have experienced that again. You've got your joy back. And others of you maybe right now are still in the dark. And I tell you, it's only an eclipse. It's temporary and very brief. And you cling to the hope that is Jesus Christ, and there is no darkness that can steal your joy. No darkness that can steal your joy. Jesus said, in this world, yeah, there you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Friends, I know the world is dark, but the darkness has not and will not and cannot overcome or overtake or extinguish the light. That's why we have great joy because of Jesus Christ. Yes, life is hard. Yes, there's darkness. Yes, the world looks like it's going dark, but listen, no matter what kind of hate or animosity or ugliness is out there, the light wins, and we have joy. And in your own life, I invite you to think about inviting the light of Christ to bring you joy again. Maybe that's your prayer this Christmas. That you just need to pray to God. I need you to restore the joy in me because some of that light's gone out for you. I would guess that some of us have pain that needs to heal with the light of Christ or crushed spirits that need to be renewed or maybe a relationship that needs to be restored or a family to be rebuilt. Joy can come when you cling to hope in Christ. You know, remember those Chilean miners years ago that were trapped in that mine down below the earth's surface in the dark, a little living room size space in the dark. They were trapped for like two months. Do you remember this? It was horrifying. We didn't know how it was going to turn out. Now, eventually the geologists and some others, they figured out how to get a thing down in there and rescue those guys and they got them out of there. But before we knew any of that, while it was still start, start quite scary, one of them down below had a wife up above who was pregnant with their child. They were carrying a little girl that they were going to name uh, Carolina. But when they finally rigged up a way to get a message back and forth, he sent a message back to his wife and he said, we must name her Esperanza. Esperanza, Spanish word for hope. Because even down in the darkest pit of the earth, somebody was clinging to hope. There was a baby, there was a baby in a womb that represented hope 
for him. And of course, you see, that's exactly what Christmas is for us. The baby in the womb of that woman, Mary, represents Esperanza, hope for every single one of us because because of who that baby is and who that baby became and what that baby brought and the difference that baby makes, there is no dark cave you'll ever find yourself in where you don't have something to cling to that's real hope. And that's why you have joy. (laughs) That baby didn't just emerge out of a dark womb, Jesus. No, no. He walked out of our dark tomb. Remember this? That's what Christmas is why we're celebrating. We're not here to celebrate a baby coming out of a womb. We're here to celebrate a man who defeated death when he walked out of a tomb. And darkness thought it had won, and Satan thought he had the last laugh. But then Jesus walked out, and light burst. And friends, that means we have great joy, because if he can do that, there is no darkness, no place, no cave on earth that his light cannot penetrate. So we have great joy. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. I know somebody here needs to just hear the angel say to you, great joy. You need your joy. Your prayer just needs to be, God, restore my joy. You've given up on something. You're discouraged. You're overcome. You've you've given up on God. Great joy can be yours because of Jesus Christ. It's good news of great joy. And who's it for? Who's it for? All people. Who's Jesus for? Everyone. All people. Yeah. Sometimes we forget that. We think it's maybe for someone else, not me. Or we think it's just for people like me, but not others. It's for all people. Jesus is for all people. You know, did you hear about the, um, the fracas that kind of happened with the children's Christmas pageant this last week? There was a little two-year-old sheep who, who kind of got excited about holding on to baby Jesus, and then Mary didn't much like that, and they kind of, well, uh, go ahead and watch for yourself. Joseph's about ready to get involved there. That's how you body slam a sheep right there. <laughs> Poor Jesus got his limbs slightly severed in that little pageant there. But You know, maybe, uh, who's Jesus for again? Yeah, everybody. 
But maybe that little sheep girl's onto something. Because Jesus isn't just for the holy families, for the people with little halos on their heads. It's for everybody. For everybody. I don't think we can get shocked enough with that reality. When you, when you even think about it, the, the shepherd, uh, the, the angel announced good news of great joy to all people. Who was the angel talking to at that moment? Remember? Shepherds. And shepherds, if you know, in that culture were, were dirty, disrespected, low-class people. No count, no teeth, no class. They lived in a van down by the river. They, they were poor not allowed to testify in a court of law even because people knew they were uneducated liars. They were ritually impure. They couldn't go to the temple because they had like poop and dead, they touched dead bodies and they, all, they, just were, they couldn't even go worship God in the temple. And yet it's to these scumbag outsiders in the middle of the night in a little backwash town in the middle of nowhere in the, that God sends his light through angels to say, good news, great joy, and it's for you. That's significant. Because sometimes we feel like those shepherds, like outsiders, like we're just too scummy. What I love about the Christmas story is it isn't just the low class. It's the other end, too, that show up. Remember who else shows up sometime after the baby's born? Take a look at Matthew chapter 2, first couple of verses. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some royal astrologers from eastern lands, they, they figured this was probably maybe someplace like Afghanistan, someplace like that today, arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star, there was a light, we, and we saw his star rise, and we have come to worship him. These are the guys we refer to as wise men. They were sometimes called the magi or even kings. We think they might have been kings, some people do, because they had this great wealth. They weren't really kings, I don't think, but we see the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. By the way, it reminds me, Tim Hawkins, he, he's a comedian. He makes so much fun of that silly song. Remember that old song, uh, Do You Hear What I Hear? Remember that song? It's got that dumb line. None of the lines make sense. It's like uh, there's a line in there that says, uh, A child, a child, shivering in the cold. And the next line is, Let us bring him silver and gold. He's like, How about a blanket? You know, <laughs> or some soup, you know, something. No, just cover him in gold. He'll be fine. He's got pneumonia, but he's loaded, so it's all good. But here, here's the point. I get distracted here. The point is, it's not just little shepherds on the low end. It's, not, it's, it's the kings. On, everybody. God leaves a light on for both of them. He sends a light in the sky for each of them in their own way. Friends, don't miss that. Here's what else I love about these shepherds, these wise, I mean, these wise guys is that they are about as spiritually, as far away from God as you could possibly be. Not just geographically, but literally. I mean, they're astrologers. These guys have their own 900 numbers. They're reading the horoscopes every day. They're into this pagan, new-agey, weird, witchcraft, spooky stuff, all of which the Bible strictly prohibits and condemns. That's what they're into. And they're the ones that God puts a star in the sky, and they follow it. But even, even they get that wrong. They, they go to the wrong place. They go to Jerusalem. Hey, where's Jesus? Is he around here? It's like, no, you didn't follow the star right. These guys, they didn't know the Bible stories. They were not Jewish. They were outsiders. We put them in our Christmas scenes wearing turbans. Let that sink in. They were the wrong people at the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong background, but here's what else they were. 
They were earnest seekers of truth. And they were willing to follow whatever light and star God gave them, even if it meant leaving some things behind. And it led them to Jesus. And when they got there, they were welcome. And some of us probably feel a little bit like them, like we're really outsiders. We're spiritually goofed up, messed up. We do it wrong. But you need to know, if you are an earnest seeker, someone who's genuinely looking for God, he'll give you signs and light, and he already has. And if you follow them, you'll find Jesus, your light. It may not be the way that others get there, This church is great for people like that. You don't have to go the whole way. You just get started. We'll help you step by step by step. I love that scripture in Jeremiah 29. It says, if you seek me with your whole heart, this is God speaking. If you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me. I wonder if there's anybody that's finally ready to seek God with your whole heart. God isn't hiding. He's ready and waiting, whether you're a shepherd or a wise man. Good news, great joy, all people. I read about a family who was vacationing at their lake home, and dad was up working in the boathouse. He had a 12-year-old and a 3-year-old who were on the, um, the dock. He was hoping the 12-year-old would watch the 3-year-old. When he was, but he kind of got distracted. And then the three-year-old saw this boat tied at the end of the dock and got all excited and decided he's going to get in it. Well, he, put, he tried to put one foot in, in the boat and one was on the dock. You know what happened. The kid went in the drink, three-year-old Tanner, in the water, five or six feet of deep, dark water. He's gone. Splash. Well, the 12-year-old screams and the dad hears that. He flies down to the dock and jumps in right away looking for little Tanner. Where's Tanner? Where's Tanner? All along the bottom. Can't find him. No Tanner. No Tanner. Can't find Tanner. Can't finally comes up gasping for air, sick with panic, down again looking for Tanner. Where's Tanner? Where's Tanner? Can't find Tanner. On his way up a second time, his arm brushes something. He feels it's, it's the boy clutching like a koala bear around a post about four feet beneath the surface at the edge of the dock. And so the father, of course, immediately pries his fingers off of that post, and then together they burst up to the light, gasping for air. Close call. After they kind of let the adrenaline, you know, settle down and get their breath back, the father finally asks little Tanner, says, Tanner, what on earth were you doing holding on to that post so far beneath the surface? And the little boy's answer is one of those moments where, you know, kids sometimes have a wisdom. He said, I was just waiting on you, Dad. I was just waiting on you. Now, I don't know why you found yourself here at Christmas service today. I don't know why any of us are here or why we think we came. But I believe whether we even know it or not, I think all of us in a way are waiting for God and the love and the light that he can bring to us to come and to grab us and to take hold of us in our lives and to pull us out of our darkness, to lead us to his marvelous light. I think each one of us needs and wants that. This is exactly what God did, isn't it, 2,000 years ago. He came, he descended into 
our darkness. We're like that boy. Without him, we're lost in darkness. God, in his gentleness, is inviting you to go with him to a place of light. It's beautiful and it's powerful and it's good news. Great joy. And it's for you. Maybe the best gift you could give this Christmas would be to simply give your life and your heart in an open spirit to the God of light for you. Let me pray for you. God, we're thankful for the good news of Jesus. Help it, God, help us to be shocked by how good it is. Forgive us of our sins, Lord, we pray. Remind us that the darkness doesn't win and restore your joy to us, God. And lead us on our spiritual journey like those wise men of old. Lead us to you, God, so that we might have more light and life from Jesus in our own lives. We pray in his name and all of God's people said, amen.